Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 135, and today we'll be chatting with Allison Esposito, the founder of Tech Ladies, a community that connects women with the best jobs and opportunities in tech, as well as companies with the best women tech makers. Allison is a New Yorker through and through, loving the fast pace of the city and all it has to offer. Graduating with a master's in journalism in 2008, Allison had to find other ways to build a career. She put her writing skills to work as a consultant and copywriter with startups like Foursquare. Allison later joined Oyster as one of the first hires and quickly dove into all types of roles to help the company grow and set the bar for what mobile reading could be. Oyster was then acquired by Google. Allison then found herself hosting a small meetup at coffee shops with other women who worked in tech. The group grew week over week until Allison decided to make Tech Ladies her full-time focus. Allison joins us to share her story, how she got into tech and startups, what it was like working at Foursquare and Oyster, what motivated her to launch Tech Ladies, how they've grown to over 7,000 members worldwide in just a few short months, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hacktostart, drop us an email at heyathacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Allison, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited to have you on the show and, you know, get to learn more about Tech Ladies and all the awesome things that you're doing there. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and what did you study? Sure. Yeah, I'm from New York originally. I've actually, fun fact, never lived outside of New York. Um, I just can't seem to leave it. I'm from a suburb about 30 minutes outside of New York City. I went to college about 45 minutes north of the city, and I've been living in Manhattan for a bunch of years now. So, And I've lived in a couple boroughs, too. I've lived in Brooklyn and the Bronx. Sort of a real true New Yorker at heart. I studied journalism at school, and I got my master's in journalism. When I finished with that, I went out into the world and journalism was, you know, in a really tough place. So like 2008, 2009, when we were going through a really bad recession, I sort of pivoted my career a little bit into marketing um, and away from journalism. But I always kept writing as a big core of what I love to do. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe before we explore that a little bit, what is it about New York that, that you love so much or that, you know, keeps you keeps you there, I guess? I think it's just such a specific place, you know, like I... Well, definitely I'm very family oriented. I'm, I'm Italian. We're like very close with my family. Um, and Italians tend to stay together in that way. That's that's one big draw that's kept me in New York so far. Um, but then I also think that, you, you know, you really have to like match personality wise to New York. And, and I think that I do, which is just basically that you're willing to, you know, work your ass off and love to explore everything that the city has to offer. So, um, well, the one thing I don't like about New York is probably the um, there's always something better around the next corner. That type of mentality, I think, is pretty dangerous and bad. But I can't deny how lovely it is to just eat great food all the time. And everything's always open really late. Like that stuff, um, when you grow up near it, it's really hard to deny that that's so great. And to go somewhere else that doesn't have it would be really hard. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. I've only been a few times, and I know Tyler's been, you know, a couple times too, and definitely uh, just love the the fast pace of the city and just having everything right there. It's it's definitely a unique place, and uh, you know, really really like it myself as well. Yeah, I think it's good. So earlier you mentioned, you know, like coming out of school with with a degree in journalism or master's in journalism, and and you know the recession in 2008 and not too many options. So really, where did your passion for technology and sort of entrepreneurship come from? I think that I've always had the passion for both entrepreneurship and technology. From the entrepreneurship side, you know, you, you hear this a lot with people who end up starting their own companies. They can go back to stories where they were like a little kid and, you know, just selling things. And like, I was like a little hustler when I was a kid, you know, I used to like go door to door selling Girl Scout cookies and I just killed it, you know, and I, I, I grew up to like not be this salesperson at all. I've like actually have pretty poor sales skills, but I just loved the idea of like making money and doing something on my own and being in independent. And I wanted to be an adult so bad. That's the type of like nerdy little kid I was that I just wanted to be an adult. So on that hand, I think I've always been a little bit of an entrepreneur. In terms of technology, um, I was just always really interested in technology and looking forward to the future we're holding. I think that came from my dad. He was got us our first desktop computer, which my brother and I became obsessed with um, when we were quite young. Even that's when we first got the internet, we would go dial up on that PC and it was actually rented because computers were so expensive that um, nobody bought them. But I can remember going back even further to when I was like a really small child and we had the, I think it was like the first Mac, uh, it was like a green screen and I was, we had an option when we were maybe in first grade or so where we could go outside and do like an extra recess or sit in the computer room and play. I think it was like snake or something. It was really basic what was available on this computer. And I would always choose the computer room. My brother and I would draw out like what the future phones would look like. And we were just obsessed with what was going to come out in the future. And I had a couple like little electronic toys too. So I was always really into hardware tech and computers. And, you know, this is even before the internet came out. So you brought back a memory in my in my mind where I think I was in the same position back in you know in elementary school where the school for some reason had Apple computers and uh, I do remember just opening up you know the first draw on on uh, Apple and just sketching out stuff it was so cool yeah and you know just it's such a good memory actually when I worked at Google they in New York they have this room of old computers kind of like a mini museum. I couldn't figure out which one in that room was the one I would have had when I was about in first grade, but there were a few and I was just like, I remember these, you know, these old apples and old PCs, like what they used to look like. And they were just so magical to me at the time. And now they're like, look so gigantic and I can't even imagine, you know, (laughs) what was going to come. So it's just really exciting to think about that. I remember listening to my dad say that the reason that he made sure to get us that big rented Packard Bell computer is because he remembers that his father was the first person on their block to get them a television set and that he remembered that, you know, it was something that we needed to be on the cutting edge, you know, just to have those things. And so that's what inspired that. And so my brother who became a designer and I are both really grateful for having had that in our house at the time. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So you then joined Foursquare. How did you end up creating the opportunity to work there? And what was it like? I look back at Foursquare and it's still some of the smartest people that I've ever worked with. Team is about 150, which was a nice size group. 
I just applied for that job and did a lot of interviews to get in for it. And I was the copywriter on staff. I did a bit of UX copy and then also marketing. So I was a little bit shared between the product and marketing teams. So I kind of got to work with a lot of different teams when I was there, which was a really good way to dive into working at a startup that size or a tech company that size. You could say they had been around for a while by then. So yeah, it was, it was a really good experience in that way. And it was great. It was just one of those places where you look back and you, you realize that they you know, have and had a ton of New York's talent sitting in that, you know, office and you were lucky enough to get to work with them. So during your time at Foursquare, you ended up working on several different teams on a variety of different projects. Can you tell us a little bit more about these projects that you had the chance to work on? So I worked on a lot of business profiles. One thing that's cool about Foursquare, at least back then, um, I know they're still doing a lot of really interesting things around this now, but they're able to deliver a really nice ad platform for people who even run small businesses. Like they're able to tell you when people are checking in. Um, all that kind of stuff is really interesting data that they were just the masters of, I think, um, for having come out with this fun social app that so many people used for so long. And I think that that's one of the most interesting things that they are able to do with the power of that data. Um, so I got to work on some interesting profiles of businesses on the ad side. Um, I did a lot of product work in terms of, I was there when um, they were spinning out the app to be Foursquare and Swarm. And so that was a time where the apps were being reimagined and built from the ground up. So everything that had been in there was just being questioned, like what, what do we need now going forward and what would be interesting to keep and what would be interesting to get rid of and experimenting with all that. And so there was a ton of product copy at that time because the designs were moving really quickly to figure out what would be you know, like what would be the most effective to ship. So it was fun to be there during that time and see like how to reimagine one as a check-in app and one as a search and discovery app. And that must have been a really cool, you know, be a part of a team that has grown, but then be a part of like such a pivotal moment for a company. That sounds like a cool opportunity. Definitely. So you then joined Oyster as their marketing manager. Can you tell us a bit more about Oyster and how you created an opportunity to join their team? Yeah, Oyster was one of my favorite jobs that I've ever had. Um, we had a team of about 30 and Oyster was called, you know, we had this tagline that was sort of like the Netflix for books, totally redesigning and rethinking how to read books on your phone and make that a really enjoyable experience. Obviously, there was other things you could use to read books on your phone, but like what's going to make it really feel like a book? So we focused on design and beautiful fonts and things like that. Great product and really one of those products that the people who used it and were fans just loved it so much. So it was fun to do marketing for something like that. That's just really loved. Yeah, eventually Oyster was acquired by Google and a lot of the team ended up coming over, which is how I ended up working there for about a year. And when I was at Oyster, though, it was just, I say it's one of my favorite work experiences just because of the people that were there. You know, we had a a team of under 30. We worked such long hours and got really close to one another and just like friends for life kind of team, which I think looking back on my career now, I made acquaintances everywhere, but it's, you're pretty lucky if you work somewhere and you can walk away and say that you actually made friends. You know, for sure. That's actually how Franco and I met. We were part of a startup and and, and I remember the long hours we, we, we used to work and, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing what just being around the startup culture and just working together kind of builds in the relationship and friendship. I agree. I think it's one of the pluses to working at a smaller, more early stage team. But that and you learn so much. I encourage a lot of people <laughs> to, to do it for that reason. But also because you just if, if you're at the point in your life where you're open to making new friends or meeting new people, 
working at an early stage startup, I think is a really good way to, to sort of like do both things and get, you know, you get your, both your career and also to make friends, like, especially if you move to a new city or something that can be really helpful. So, so as many small teams and entrepreneurs do, you wore several different hats at Oyster doing marketing growth and more. How did you approach growth marketing for this type of app? And what was the process like for you? So yeah, we were really focused on the branding of the app and like speaking to people and thinking about out of the box things we could do to connect with uh, our users. And I've learned a lot and taken a lot of that to Tech Ladies, which I'm working on now. It's just a lot of putting like heart behind your marketing. So I think in terms of growth and marketing, right? It's like something I always think about is that everything is marketing, right? And growth is sort of like tied into that. And these words are you know, it's more like, have you taken a step back and thought really holistically about all of those things? Like if you, if you try to siphon them off, you fail. So if you try to say like, we're going to, we're going to focus on growth or we're going to focus on advertising, or we're going to focus on like the experience for the user. I think that's when you start to fail when you start bucketing those things a little bit too much. If what you really want to do is step back and kind of look at it all together and see how it plays out and just think like, well, what would the experience be like for me to use this? And then what would my pain points be and um, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a, I like to think about marketing in, in that sense, the same way I think a product person or a designer might approach the problem. So Oyster launched a ton of really cool projects and initiatives like Lumen, then an actual retail store, as well as some major titles like Harry Potter. What was it like being part of this type of fast-paced innovation and progress? Sure, yeah, we got to do a really fun campaign around Harry Potter, um, which was great because we were like the first ebook retailer or whatever you want to call it to have Harry Potter. So we got to do a lot of like interesting design things um, in order to market it. You know, I don't know how, but I got through my adolescence without reading any Harry Potter or seeing any of the movies. So I had to dive in and start the books. And at first I was like, oh, I'm just going to start the book so I can understand what any of these references are um, and write some like clever copy and just understand what we were doing little things where like the sorting hat would pick a theme for you and put you in Slytherin. And then you'd have like a green reading theme, really fun stuff like that that we got to do in the product. So I ended up actually over the past couple of years reading all of the books and watching all of the movies and becoming like a total nerd about Harry Potter. So yeah, I just think just like being able to dive into content like that was a really fun aspect of, of working on an app that includes books. We built a product called or a function of our products called Lumen, which at the time you weren't seeing anywhere on phones it's since been put into pretty much every iPhone has this now, which is kind of similar to an app called Flux, where when the um, sun is setting in your location, your phone will dim. Interestingly, that idea for building that had come from someone on our customer service team who was constantly reading emails from people that say like they love Oyster and they want to read more, but the blue light from their phone keeps them up. So they always switch over and end up reading their paper books again. So we were kind of like, hey, maybe this is something we should just build into the app and it'll just dim for you as, as the nighttime comes on. And it just wasn't something you saw on phones at all at the time. And so it's been interesting to see Apple and these other huge companies put this in because we were really like the first app to do that. And there was some press around it. But, you know, other than that, it was kind of like, OK, this is on phones now. <laughs> so it's funny <laughs> to see how something that just comes from like a customer service email can change what huge companies are putting into their hardware and software. So as you mentioned, Oyster was later acquired by Google. So what was the process like for you going from Oyster to then the team at Google? 
It was interesting. I was originally um, considering going to Mountain View where the main office is. And I just couldn't imagine leaving my family and friends. So made the call not to do that and was lucky enough to end up getting a different role um, in their New York office, which was great. The New York office of Google is just amazing. And there's just endless stuff to work on at Google. Like I started to understand why people could stay and make their whole careers there. Um, there's just so much going on that you could stay and make, be working on interesting stuff at Google forever, basically. But yeah, so going over was interesting. Uh, a lot of our team ended up moving over to Google Play, and I ended up moving over to a different team. I was working on Google Play and still doing a little bit around books, but um, working on all aspects of Google Play. So marketing for Google Play, music, movies, like I would do different campaigns here and there for all of those things. So it was really good experience. I think for me, I had never worked at a place that was so humongous. I never, you know, I mean, my biggest company had been like 300 people. And I thought that that was huge. So I had no experience of how to navigate something like that. And I think that was really good experience. Yeah, for sure. It's the office at uh, in, in Chelsea Market, right? In, in New York? Yeah, well, there's, they have a whole building, which is gigantic and then right across the street is Chelsea Market and they have offices in the Chelsea Market building as well and also in the building behind it. So there's like this whole Google, uh, you know, row of offices around there. Yeah, They're pretty really, amazing. It's really cool. I, th- oh, well, I guess I've, I've been through some, some of the ones in Chelsea Market because there's a bunch of tech companies there. So it's really cool yes. to see how little community has sprung up in, in that part of the city there. Yeah. So after, you know, a, a little a little period at Google, you ended up leaving to start your own company called Tech Ladies. So can you tell us more about this organization and what really motivated you to launch that? Sure. Well, Tech Ladies started as a side project that I had. Um, it's been around for two years, but in most of that time, we were just really like a chill coffee meetup in New York. And it was just this idea of like getting together with women in tech, um, exchange ideas, help each other out, have sort of like a built-in network that was outside of the, you know, all the other networks I had built through like the jobs that I knew. It was just a nice way to expand. And I ended up adding and adding, like people would just invite their friends to these coffee meetups we had. It was growing so fast on its own, even just when we were a meetup. And I kept running it throughout the years. And about eight months ago, um, we had started sending newsletters around and I made a post on Medium that said like, hey, one of the things I've noticed that's happened in our little community that's sprung up is that we've noticed that a lot of women are getting jobs by, you know, recommending companies that are good for other women. Like it was basically ladies saying like, hey, I actually love it here. Um, And I've hated all my other jobs in tech, um, but this is a great environment. You should come work here. That kind of word of mouth is especially important for women in tech to know that it's a company that you can trust. And so we were seeing that there were jobs and like true, real high quality networking that was just sort of happening naturally. And I said, like, once we grew to about a thousand members just in New York, I put out a medium post that said, hey, if there's any companies that would like to post jobs in our newsletter, just email me. And I got so overwhelmed um, just from my network and my network's friends and networks that they know the word got out. And that's sort of how we started HireTechLadies.com, which is our website for where we host our job board. Um, And then I started to realize that there's so much more that we could do even just beyond jobs and definitely beyond New York. So we opened it up to women worldwide when we launched our site. Now we're at about 7,000 members around the world. Um, They're all women who work in tech 
startups, um, some big tech companies. Some of them are founders of their own things. Yeah, we have everything from engineers, marketers, designers, product managers. So we're we're totally open in that way, and uh, we've we've grown pretty fast in the past couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. So what was it? I, I guess like what was the moment that made it that made you you know like flick a switch in your mind that like I should take this from a side project to a full time thing? What was that process like for you? So it was a mixture of just, you know, that seeing it grow so fast and it being so much fun to work on that I was coming home after work and just working like almost another five to six hours a day just on tech ladies. So that was getting the word out about tech ladies, writing up job postings, writing our newsletter. We have an active online community. It was accepting applications and onboarding women into our online community um, and then moderating the online community. And so it quickly became that there was so much to do and then also so much opportunity coming in, like so many people who wanted to post jobs with us or companies who wanted to post jobs with us. A lot of interesting partnerships were popping up, like people who just wanted to get in front of our community. And then I also started to see it really make a difference. Like People started slowly finding their dream jobs through us or, you know, finding scholarships for boot camps and things like that. And it was people would start writing letters about how much it was changing their lives for the better and really helping them out. And that's when I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever worked on. And there's so much going on. And I kind of don't see it slowing down. I think I need to do this full time. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. And so obviously, you know, Tech Ladies is, is completely bootstrapped, you know, given that you were working at night and then, you know, starting to do a whole bunch of stuff. So can you tell us more about your experience with like, you know, the challenges and benefits of bootstrapping a new company and, and building the community sort of from the ground up? Sure. Yeah, I love thinking about bootstrapping challenges and, um, and benefits. You know, I think that the, the benefits are definitely, I love that no one owns us. And that's really important, especially now. It seems like it's almost more important now. For example, like somebody today just posted in our group, um, they had shared an article about the Muslim registry and how a bunch of tech companies had come out and said, of course, we will not, we will not help in any way as a tech company to build a Muslim registry. We, we think it's terrible. And someone actually said, like, hey, where does Tech Lady stand on this? And, you know, like, I don't know why they wanted to know what our little old community would stand on it. But the fact that I can come out and say, like, we think it's terrible and we will support any Tech Lady who is working against it. And I don't have to run that by anybody. It's just um, it's me and a small team. I think that's one of the huge benefits of really, um, you know, not having any bosses or investors above you. Um, is that you can really shape and what you want your company to be. And that's important because while I don't think we're like this hugely political community or company, especially now, it feels like an extra great thing that we are structured this way so that we can, um, we don't have to think about that too much, right? Like it's basically if we want to share pictures of women marching, we, we put together like a photo album of women marching and we don't have to say like, mm, wait, with some of our investors, you know, maybe they're Trump, they're maybe they're for Trump, like, we're just like fuck it. <laughs> this is like how we are. And this is what we believe. And like, this is an important time for women. And as a feminist business and community, we're just gonna put it out there. And like, trip, we're gonna triple down on it basically during this time. That's one of the biggest benefits. And obviously the biggest challenges to bootstrapping are just you can dream big, but you can't execute fast necessarily. So there's all these cool things we can do. And if we had a couple million dollars, we would just do them now. 
but um, we can't. We really have to build what we see the community need and then figure out how we can scale it, make it work. We have to test everything for that reason. So we do. So yeah, I think uh, that it's hard not to sometimes dream like, oh, it would be so great if there was a few million dollars sitting in a bank account to fund all these things that we want to do to make tech better for women. But on the other hand, like we're still having a a great impact and we're just going to do it a little bit slower as a bootstrap company. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to the point of like, you know, being able to have your own authentic voice and, and standing up for the things that, you know, you believe in is, is really important and often, I guess, not completely understood until you don't have that ability anymore, I guess. <laughs> so Yeah. And I think it, it makes you have a brand um, and we don't have to like hide anything about the type of brand that we're building at Tech Ladies. And I think that it attracts a lot of people to it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's awesome. And so, you know, speaking of attracting a lot of people and having that unique brand and building a community, you know, as you mentioned, Tech Ladies has quickly grown to over 7,000 women, you know, worldwide. So what's it really been like building that kind of community, fostering those relationships? And what have been some of the most effective word, you know, effective channels, I guess, to get the word out there outside your own network? I think as far as growth goes outside of um, my network, it's been really cool to see like it's so far outside of my network now um it used you know in the early days it was always like oh somebody you know the six degree thing um you know somebody who knows somebody and that's how she got in or found out about us um and that still does happen a lot but a lot of um the way we grow now we have events um for quite large events that we partner with like we have one going on in san francisco tonight with the Samsung Next, which is the Samsung Accelerator. We're doing an event with a company called Elvis and partnering with the New York Times to throw that sort of like negotiation tips for women and things like that. So we do these bigger events in New York and San Francisco, which drives a lot of our growth. And then we also have a network of um, like volunteer ambassadors who throw smaller events all around the country. And we open that up. So anyone in Tech Ladies who wants to organize event a coffee meetup, um, even if it's something small, we support them in doing that. We send them a little like box of swag to throw the event name tags and postcards and stickers to give out. And we have some tips on how to run an event. We have somebody um, who helps them figure that out. How do you get people to RSVP to your event, all that kind of stuff. And so that's a lot of our growth is this in-person uh, connection, which I think is really nice in addition to the online community. A lot of people find out about us through our online community, but then it's really strengthened when they come to an event and say, hey, I, I went to this thing and I left, you know, feeling better <laughs> about my job or something like that. That's something you can, can't get when you pay for a Facebook ad. You know, even if you're spending a hundred or hundreds K on Facebook ads, you can't get that until people have a really good experience with you. So we don't spend any marketing money. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the other cool things that, you know, has happened in the last little bit for you guys is, uh, you know, Tech Ladies was accepted into Women at Forbes and Impact Hub. So can you tell us more about these programs and what it was like to get in and what it was like to go through them? Sure. That program um, was perfect timing for me because I was about to transition out of working at Google and onto Tech Ladies full time. Um, and I got into this program with a few other female founders. Um, so we would have this like mastermind group once a week sponsored by Forbes and Impact Hub, um, which is an excellent social impact co-working space in New York and San Francisco. And I think they have some other locations as well. And so we just had the ability to like get together and talk about the challenges we were facing and things like that. It was really useful to have that. Um, it was before I actually had hired anyone. Everyone we've hired has just been within the past like six weeks. So um, it was when I was really doing this on my own. And so it was nice to have 
almost like a little team in person to bounce ideas off of. Yeah, absolutely. And so what what have been some, I guess, you know, you just mentioned you hired a bunch of people over the past six weeks, which which is awesome to hear that, you know, that the team's growing and, and, you know, you guys are able to do more things. But are have there been any other like success stories to come out of the community so far that, you know, maybe you can share? Sure. Well, I think our biggest success and the thing we're always looking for is hires coming from our job board. Our job board is something that we spend a lot of time on. We work with a lot of companies on posting jobs on there. And um, anytime we get a hire, we get really happy. Um, and it's, it's a huge success because it's like, maybe you joined this, you might have heard about us through our Facebook group, or someone might have told you, or maybe you came to an event. The way our job board works is that it's secret job board for members only. So basically, it's for people who sign up and are approved to be in Tech Ladies, um, then they can come view it and apply. And we have direct contact information to people who are hiring at that company. So it really helps close the networking gap for women in tech. So that's one thing that we do. Um, that's like a success story we're always excited to hear. Um, the other would be that we've had a lot of women have success negotiating salary increases and raises at work. And a lot of that comes from we share a lot of negotiation tips in the group where people are welcome to ask questions about that kind of thing. And sometimes you just need, you know, a little group of people cheering you on. Like you just need the guts to go ask for it. Um, and then even if you do ask for it, you need the skills on how to actually get it and land it. This is really important for women. So we've had a, a couple of good success stories come from that where people would uh, hop in the group and ask some negotiation questions and get a couple thousand, come back and say, you know, I got a $6,000 raise or something. And it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this group. So things like that are really exciting to hear. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. So what, what do you guys have planned next for tech ladies, you know, since we're only, uh, I don't know, five or six percent into 2017? What, what's next with the rest of the year? So I love how specific that five or six percent. Yeah, I think I saw it on Twitter. It's probably more because it was a couple of days ago I saw it on Twitter and I was like, oh, somebody's already counting. So but uh, it's yeah. so funny that you think about it like that, because I am thinking like, yeah, like the other way where I'm like, January is basically over. There's only 11 months left. What are we going to do with the next 11 months? Like, it's so crazy how when you start a business, your mind shifts and you think about time like that. So, you know, all of a sudden, like Q1 means something to me and I care. So, yeah, I think it's funny to think about that. But uh, yeah, we one of our biggest things and accomplishments that we wanted to get launched by January was we launched something called founding memberships, which is for people who um, it's a paid membership cohort. So for people who want to really like use the group to network more and get to know people on a more of a one-on-one -on -one basis. We're going to start doing like, like high touch intros through that group. We are working with partnerships to get deals and pass savings on for things like classes, conferences, things like that. Um, and pass them on to sometimes members of the larger group, sometimes members of the founding members group. But so it's this, uh, tier that we created and launched. And so we opened it up for one week as a test um, in early January. And we got a really nice size amount for our first cohort. And so we're really just getting started with that. Like, what does a smaller community look like? And it's been really fun for me because with a main group getting to 7,000, you know, you just can't have the same type of um, relationships and know everybody's name as you can as we could when we were much smaller. So in some ways, it reminds me of the early days of Tech Ladies, and I'm really enjoying being able to have that. So that was our big thing to, to launch that. And the plan is to open it up for one week at a time, only like two or three times a year. So we'll open it again, probably later this spring. And other than that, we're going to try to like not launch too much more stuff. I think like there's so much we could do. And I think sometimes when you run a company or 
community and a company like we run, um, it's so tempting to just, you know, act on all of those ideas that you get and that the community comes to you with. We're really just going to try to be focused for the rest of the year, like really improve the uh, job board and the ability to find a job through us. Like we want to be the place to come and do that if you're a woman in tech and then also the community to come to to lean on for when you need help with anything and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, heads down for the next 11 months, I would say. So to shift gears a little bit, what are some of the most recent apps that you've downloaded or used? Okay, now I really do just need to like take my phone out and look at this. <laughs> I've become pretty good at like keeping, I now have my phone down to just two pages. So like you can't do an endless flip through my phone. And so I've cut down on a lot of apps. One app that I really love that's quite new is called Croissant. And it was started by a member of Tech Ladies. And it is basically like ClassPass for co-working in the sense that um, you can drop into, you just like buy a number of hours and then can drop into any co-working space that's open and has seats open for you. So it's a really great way to try out different co-working spaces and also just to get yourself out of a coffee shop if that's what you're doing. I have a, a bit more of a stable office space now, but for the first couple of months I didn't and it was a real lifesaver. So I love that app for that reason. That's awesome. I'm looking at it right now on my phone and the branding's the branding's awesome. I like the yes, like the icon. It's really cool. Yeah, it's great. It's it's really useful and pretty easy to get up and running. So proud to know that it was something I actually found out from the group. It's one of my favorite new apps. That's awesome. So do you have any recommendations on some great content that you've come across? Uh, either a book, blog post, or a video? I'm trying to read 52 books in 52 weeks. So this has been my goal for the past three years. I've come up short every year. Uh, in 2016, it looks like I got to 34. Um, I think I was around 32 the year before. So it's one of these things where like the goal doesn't matter. I can absolutely fail. But um, it's just knowing that the goal is there will keep me reading more than I would if the goal just wasn't there. So it's good to have it. And I think so. I've starred my favorite books from last year, which I will share with you. One of them is called The Red Parts by Maggie Nelson, which is a book about uh, Maggie Nelson normally writes more open type. I would say it's maybe like freeform. I'm not sure exactly what it would be called. But this book was about um, how she attended the trial of her aunt who had been murdered when when she was young and um, she had never met her aunt. So just this really interesting take on true crime that could happen in your family, even if you feel like how you could feel close to somebody that you don't know is really well written and amazing. Um, and then I'd say one of my other favorite book of 2016 was that I read in 2016 was called the border of paradise. And I'd say my maybe like top three, also the underground railroad by Colson Whitehead, which was, I know one of the most popular books of last year that many people have probably heard of, but it's uh, definitely worth a read. I'd say. Absolutely. Those are some cool books. What, what are you reading right now? Right now, this is so funny, but like I am, uh, I'm just finishing up the last Harry Potter because I've been so slowly, like say I've been savoring it. And, um, yeah, my boyfriend's like, well, how are you still on this? And I'm like, it's because I don't want it to ever end. I don't, I know that there's not really any more books after this. Although I do have the, um, the script for the book that came out last year. That's kind of like the next Harry Potter, but not really. So yeah, I've just been savoring the end of the end of Harry Potter. There you go. Well, if it's if it's too good to to have come to a close, you you definitely have to hold on to it as long as you can. I know. I think the next step is I'm gonna have to like book a trip to the Harry Potter world. 
So they have. As a 34-year-old woman, I just want to go there and like ride broomsticks. And I don't know when I became this nerd. I, the funny thing is that the reason I didn't read it in high school is because I was like too cool for it in high school. And now I'm so uncool as a 34-year-old loving Harry Potter, but I'm into it. Yeah, they also have like Quidditch meetups. I've seen them happen in Ottawa or like during the summer where people actually play like and <laughs> run around. I'm not even sure how you play, to be honest. I've seen them and I should actually stop and like try to pay attention and figure it out or even just go out and play just to see what it's all about. You know, I like really respect. It's funny. I think I actually enjoy having experienced this as an adult. I know a lot of the reason a lot of people really love it is because they they have fond memories from having read it when they were younger. Um, That's what all of my friends say that read it. Um, But I think it's kind of cool when you experience it as an adult, because you think about different things like what must have been going through JK Rowling's mind when she created all this subculture, like, like, how much did she know would become a thing <laughs> and how much could she just have never expected would ever be like Quidditch meetups? Like, did she know that would ever become a thing? And it's really interesting to think about that. Yeah, for sure. I'll have to ask her on Twitter. <laughs> Maybe she'll respond. <laughs> so, She's amazing on Twitter. Yeah, I know. So on that note, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? Oh man, personal mottos. That's interesting. I definitely like, One of them is uh, really simple, but work hard and be nice to people. And it's something we say in Tech Ladies. It's kind of like, if you believe that, you're in and we'd love to have you. And if you don't believe that, like, you're not a match. And that's so open, right? Like, that's pretty basic. But we want people who work hard and are nice to people because I, I really believe that that's how you get ahead in life. And... And I also think like it's how you can work really hard and get really far in your career, but also be able to sleep at night is the whole be nice to people part. And then I think there's this other quote that I see. It's probably on one of my like cheesy Pinterest boards, but it's something like um, to get things that you've never had, you have to do things that you've never done. And it's so simple, but if you read it at the right time of your life, you realize like, oh, this is the exact push I need to take that next step and do that thing that I've been holding myself back from. So I like that one too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to end the show. Allison, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today and and share your awesome story and all the cool things that you're doing with Tech Ladies. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope to have you join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.